0: Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please welcome Robert Dubin. Rob Dubin was an award-winning filmmaker who by his mid-20s owned his own film production company and was getting well paid to travel the world making travel and adventure films for television networks and Fortune 500 companies. After a survival experience that made international news and elicited a call from the President of the United States, Rob decided to change directions. A year later, at age 42, he and his wife retired, sold their home, and moved aboard a 40 foot sailboat. What followed was a 17 year long sailing voyage around the world. Rob had gone from rubbing shoulders with millionaires and billionaires who competed for the America's Cup yacht race to sharing meals with barefoot villagers in grass shacks. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
1: I love your mission.
0: Thanks very much. I'm, I'm just I've read your bio and it just, uh, it tickles me. I love adventure. You know, I I love just kind of heading out in a direction you've never gone before and stuff. And you kind of took that to the extreme. That is amazing. Just amazing. Um, And I remember as a kid having a little Super 8 film camera. You know, my dad got it for us, to kind of keep us occupied. My brothers and I are all making little films, little stop action films and all kinds of fun little things like that. Um,
1: Is that how you kind of got started? Well, I, w- I grew up in Colorado and in my teenage years, I got very interested in mountain climbing and I was climbing all of our 14,000-foot peaks. And uh, in those days, the cameras, the still cameras that were available were these little Kodak Instamatics. And I would see these magnificent vistas in the mountains and I would take a picture with these cameras to show my parents and my friends what it was like. And of course, the picture, the mountains would be about a millimeter tall in the photo. And so I got interested in photography so I could better communicate what I was seeing. And that led to, I went directly from high school to a film school when all my friends were going off to liberal arts colleges. I knew I wanted to go into photography and then I migrated into film. And uh, as you'll notice when we get to talking, I tend to be a storyteller. And so film is telling stories and that's what uh, really grabbed me. And I was lucky enough to make a, I've been very intentional about my life, so I went after my purpose that I knew was what I wanted to do, and I combined my love of the mountains and adventure sports with my filmmaking. So I made ski films and kayak films and mountain climbing films all over, as well as other types of corporate films, and uh, it was a very satisfying career. And I did it for 20 years, and I loved it for 19 and a half years. And when I stopped loving it, I stopped doing it because I think there maybe are some jobs that you can do if your heart's not in them, but certainly not a creative endeavor like that. And so uh, that was the right time for us to uh, sell our home and buy a sailboat and take off on some different types of adventures. Awesome.
0: Very cool. Well, I want to come back and get into all that, find out where all you went, what you learned from your experiences, because I can just, man. I can just imagine. Um, all right, but before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners, know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio. For the host, James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood uh, guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Rod, if you're ready, 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word?
1: Uh, my favorite word is happiness. Very good. What is your least favorite word? I would have to say, uh, inaction or, uh, laziness or that sort of, uh, that idea anyway of, of not, uh, of inaction.
0: Okay. Uh, what turns you on?
1: Almost everything. I, I can get excited about nearly anything in, in that's happening in my life. I, I, you know, I look for the, the scenery on a detour and, uh, so that's that's my mode.
0: Nice. What turns you off?
1: A pettiness. I'm
0: with you on that one. All right. What sound or noise do you love?
1: I love the sound of a jet airplane. I just I just watched uh, Maverick, uh, Top Gun uh, number two, and uh, I love that sound, I'd have to say.
0: There you go. All right. What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Uh, The sound of children crying or people whining or little kids whining. Yes, yes, whining.
0: Um, Question seven, what is your favorite curse word?
1: Oh, I would have to say it's the F word. That seems
0: to be the most popular.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it seems when I need to really emphasize something that pops into my vocabulary. And I was a sailor for a lot of years, so, Uh uh, you know, we come by it naturally.
0: You have an arsenal to choose from, yeah. Definitely. All right. Uh, question eight, what profession other
1: than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I guess it goes back to that noise of the jet airplane. I'd like to be a F-18 fighter pilot. Excellent. Very cool. All right.
0: What profession would you not like to do?
1: I wouldn't do any profession where tomorrow was going to be like today.
0: Repetitive. Yeah. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: You made a difference.
0: You made a difference. Absolutely. Good deal. And you have, I mean, like I said, your story is amazing. I want to come back and talk about how you got your start. Um, Some of the adventures you had traveling around the world in your sailboat and uh, lessons you've learned. We'll talk about that. And at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership. All right. We'll talk about that and a lot more right after this so listeners stick with us imagine having a trusted group of ceos at your disposal imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business what would you be able to accomplish then well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Rob Dubin. Rob, thanks again for taking time out to uh, to chat with us. So your, your foray into filmmaking came from your love of the outdoors and wanting to share everything you were doing, the stories and things like that.
1: Right. Absolutely. yeah. I wanted to be able to communicate the magnificence of the mountains to others and then that just got to a more general idea of wanting to communicate things and I tried to uh, make my career doing films that mattered in some way. I didn't do Hollywood films, but uh, I tried to do things that uh, I, I was lucky to get on with American Sportsman, which was an ABTV show people of your and my generation might remember, and uh, we did a lot of adventure sports, uh, mountain climbing in the Himalayas, kayaking unexplored rivers, and that sort of thing, and so that put me side by side in a position to interview and understand the thought process of people who were pushing the envelope in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the first films I got to do right out of film school was uh, I did a film in Italy with Buckminster Fuller, who was uh, the inventor of the geodesic dome and certainly one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. And so, anyway, my filmmaking—I'm uh, glad I was able to do films that I thought were of something that was more than just mundane, something interesting. Very cool.
0: And so traveling all over the world, I—I I can only imagine some of the places you've been to. You talk about the Himalayas. Uh, where are some of the other areas you went?
1: Well, on our sailboat, we visited a hundred, well, I guess between, I made movies in about 30 different countries before we retired to our sailboat. So I had a TV show on the Travel Channel and, and did a lot of work with ESPN. And altogether, I've been to about a hundred countries. And when we we sailed uh i became very interested in this concept of human happiness and that's sort of always been my my red thread the idea that's permeated my life is i think our purpose here is simply to make ourselves happy and help others be happy and so that's kind of what i now spend my life doing and uh the sailing provided a very interesting window into that because just before we took off when we were still working we were as you mentioned in the intro, filming the America's Cup and other high-end yacht races. So I would be with these billionaires, that their crews would sail their boats to the regatta, and they would fly in in the private jet, and then we got to go on board with them and, and sail. And I noticed that some of them were happy and some weren't. I mean then a few years later we were sharing our lives with these barefoot villagers in third world countries and some of them were happy and some weren't and the percentages weren't radically different from the the wealthy people but in between we were with this group of itinerant sailors like ourselves who were sailing around the world. And this was before the age of the digital nomad like yourself. So nobody was out there building a business, making a living, doing anything else. We had all just basically made the same decision to be happy. And we were out there doing things every day that made us happy. And the the uh, other two groups, they might've been 60, 40 or something like that, happy to unhappy people. And in the sailing group, almost everybody was happy, and they had just simply made a decision to be happy. We all did some of the same kind of traits and strategies on a daily basis that made us happy. But I got interested in the concept of human happiness, and that's now what I try and share with other people.
0: It's awesome. So yeah, you think these guys that are in the World Cup races—they're millionaires, billionaires. You think that they have it all figured out. You think that they have everything they want. How could they not? be happy what did you find what is is there there a a certain thing that they were missing or just not
1: yes and i didn't put it all together at the time i rec I, i over time i developed this framework for happiness which i now teach i go into corporations and i teach employee happiness so employees are more engaged and it's an antidote to the great resignation that we're dealing with but in the process first i developed my own framework and and then I sort of uh, wondered if I knew what the hell I was talking about when I started, people asked me to speak on it. And so I did a little, quite a bit more research and I found out that what the social scientists had developed was exactly what I had learned on my own. But one uh, label that they had given to things is the answer to your question, is there's two types of happiness. One is called hedonic happiness, it comes from the word hedonism, and the other is called eudaimonic happiness and the hedonic happiness are all these things of pleasure and enjoyment which as you said the billionaires could indulge to whatever level they wanted but those things are pretty short lived you know it's it's everything from having an ice cream cone to sex to buying a new car all right. those things make you happy you know you get that new car you've wanted it for so long it's so fantastic 6 months from now a year from now it's just your car right but the things that develop meaning And purpose, those are really the deep-seated, long-term happiness. And that's what we had found out sailing. Mm -hmm. We had given away, you can't take all your creature comforts on a sailboat. And it's a a difficult life in some ways, but it has this deep-seated satisfaction from your purpose and your meaning and you're doing things. You know, and I know you and I talked privately earlier. You mentioned that you and your wife quit giving each other gifts that were things, and started giving experiences, right. and that's a big part of that. Experiences give us that purpose and meaning, which a thing does, but the thing only does it for a short period of time. Exactly.
0: Yeah, things get lost; they get borrowed, right? Well, <laughs> From and even, back in the the back of the closet where they never see daylight again. Right? Exactly. <laughs>
1: when we went to go sailing, you know, we had a closet full of clothes, and. We got on the boat and you know we wore a pair of flip-flops and two or three torn t-shirts and some swim trunks
0: that's awesome so okay in, during the interview or during the uh, introduction uh talk about a, a harrowing experience you guys had to kind of change your life talk to me a little bit about that what happened where were you and what happened
1: well we were on our way to a backcountry cabin in the colorado mountains cross-country skiing in the middle of the winter and partway there, the weather turned into one of the worst storms in Colorado history. It was a total whiteout. There were blizzards and avalanches all over the state. And so we there were times where we couldn't even see our hand in front of our face. It was snowing and blowing so hard. And we ended up being lost in the wilderness for five days and given up for dead. And when we got out, as you mentioned, the first call we got was from the president of the United States. And, you know, I, I would love to think that experience taught me something about happiness but I have found that the experience isn't really the teacher it's the experience plus the reflection and contemplation you can bring to us to it afterwards but we didn't have any time to reflect on it because it turned out that the ski trip was a prelude to our real challenge and uh, we were healthy when we got out but my wife had extremely bad frostbite on her hands and feet and the The third day when we were, after we had gotten back and she was in the hospital, the doctors pulled me aside and they told me they were going to amputate both of her feet at the arch of the foot. And then they would wait a few days and then do a second surgery to amputate all of her fingers. Wow. And when that happened, I went home and... I walked in my front door and I saw a pair of her running shoes by the door there and I just collapsed on the floor when I saw them, these running shoes that she would never wear again. And I lay on the floor all night long, just crying uncontrollably, thinking about this terrible fate that was gonna befall us the next day. And it was the most powerless moment of my life. But I woke up feeling completely powerful And I raced to the hospital before the doctors could talk to her. And I told her she was gonna have a complete recovery. And we both focused solely on that recovery. We decided to be happy. We lived happy from that moment on. When the doctors came in an hour or two later to prep her for the surgery, we refused to sign the papers authorizing the amputation surgery. And we just decided, what happened in that moment between when I was the most powerless and most powerful, Sometime about four or five in the morning, I finally drifted off to sleep and my subconscious mind took over and it did for me what it had been doing for me my whole life. It simply decided to be happy. And that's what transformed me. And I went to the hospital and we decided to be happy. Not if she recovered or when she recovered. We just decided to be happy. And then the next step we took was we talked about this compelling future we wanted to have for ourselves. Because I had spent that night on the floor thinking what kind of future did we have ahead of us with her with no feet and no fingers. And instead we had this compelling idea of a future and we talked about it. And it took a full year for her recovery with all the whole time, the threat of amputation hanging over our head. But we never surrendered that to that. We just stayed positive. And a year after that, the ski trip, we were in Cancun, Mexico with our friend Tony Robbins and she was dancing in the sand with two feet and ten, 10 fingers and nine and a half toes. And then another year after that moment, we put into place that compelling future we had talked about. And that was when we sold our home and got on a sailboat. Wow,
0: that is amazing. This, the, the choice, the making the decision you know, people don't understand how powerful that can be. You, when you decide to do something and you fully commit to that, anything's possible.
1: And that's exactly it. It is that the this I teach this framework for happiness, and it's about nine or 10 different things. But the first one is what you just said it's making the decision to be happy. And we all have this we've gone through an interesting thing here with the pandemic because. We've all had this notion that if we check all the right boxes, you know, I go to college, I get a decent job, I find the right spouse, have a couple of cute kids, happiness is supposed to happen for us. Right. And during the pandemic, millions of people examined their lives and they said, I did all that stuff. Why am I not happier? And So people are searching right now, and I think that's really the silver lining in the pandemic is that millions of people are searching for their own happiness, and they're going to find it. One way or another, they will figure it out. Now, the thing that we don't understand about happiness is it really can and needs to be taught. You know, if you think about anything that you're good at in your life, if you play a musical instrument, if you do a sport... I know you were a pilot. If you fly an airplane, anything you do in your life or your job that you do, you probably got some instruction in it. You took some lessons and then you practiced it and you got good at it. And we had this mistaken idea that if I check all these boxes, happiness will hit me like a lightning bolt and it doesn't. So that's why I teach what I teach this framework for how to be happy. And as you said, it starts with that decision to be happy.
0: Yeah. And it is something you can figure out as you go, but you have to make the decision, right? We're we're told that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're not guaranteed happiness, but the pursuit of it. And that's really what it is, is, is making that decision that I am going to pursue happiness.
1: Yeah, and I don't like the word pursuit because it sounds like it's something you have to chase and it's difficult to find it's not really difficult it's just you have to make that decision to do it and then you make it a priority and one of the things that was easy for us because we were on our sailboat we had so few distractions of the you know that we all have in our regular lives ashore that we were able to focus on it and and learn it so we there and there's actually another component to it the scientists have told us that 40%, up to 40% of our happiness actually can be built into our DNA and so I know that I'm one of those people that got that for free, so I got it for free but I can still teach it to other people who didn't get it in their DNA because I figured it out, but partly it was being on the boat, studying the, the, the different groups including the sailors and the billionaires and the other people, so part of it was that, studying it Focusing on it part of it was that I didn't have a lot of distractions and when you're on the boat When there's just two of you on a sailboat one of you has to be on watch all the time while the other is sleeping and so these watches, you know, you're on watch six hours a day, and then six hours at night while your partner sleeps, you're on watch there and you're looking up, you know, your boat is sort of bobbing between the sea and the star-filled sky. And these watches add up to thousands and thousands of hours of meditation and contemplation, and that's where the, the answers came from for me.
0: Yeah, I this picture being out there on the boat, I love that. So my wife and I, I told you, we're digital nomads, right? We sold our house. Uh, Got rid of almost everything we had, some things in storage. Um, And now we're traveling, just our clothes and our computers and our Jeep. And we're going to stay in Airbnbs. You took that to, like, the extreme now. Uh, You sold and you downsized into a 40-foot sailboat. What was that experience like?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, we sold a 2,800-square-foot house, and we moved on to a, like, 300-square-foot sailboat. And when you do that, as you said, you have to get rid of a lot of stuff. And the space on a sailboat is so limited that we could only take with us things that were going to help us sail better or live better in our new life on the sailboat. And it turned out that that's a perfect analogy for life because we are all carrying baggage that is not going to help us get to who we want to be, where we want to go. And so part of what I teach is literally do what we did and throw it overboard if you're carrying baggage old stories of things that happened in your past that aren't going to help you get to your future just get rid of it do what we did and throw it overboard and you know we've we've all burned our fingers on the stove sometime in the past and so we're carrying around these life lessons so if you burned your fingers one of the lessons could be i never eat hot food again in my life and you know you're laughing but we all do that in some respect you know we we get our hearts broken in a relationship and we enter the next one with one foot already out the door right. and this bad thing happens at some you know something like for instance our ski trip if that was my first ski trip i might never go skiing again right. it was not my first it was my 400th and so i took it in stride like having a bad day on the golf course so what the next day will be great yeah. so i kept on you know doing trips so it, the One of the things I teach is how to invent your new story. So I take people through a process where they figure out one of these painful experiences that they had in their lives. They got fired from a job or their mom was mean to them or whatever. We've all right. failed at something. Sure. You know, and this process, I sort of do a disclaimer. If you have really serious trauma in your past, you need mental health expertise, which I am not. I'm not a PhD or a psychologist or anything like that. but All of us are carrying some kind of trauma and if you can, I take people through a process where they rewrite their story so they come up with a more empowering story from their past thing. So they leave the pain behind and they take the lesson forward. And you know, I know you talk about the courage to lead. And that's one of the things I've noticed in all the leaders that I've met because in my film career we did a lot of work for corporations i was with a lot of fortune 500 ceos and the the billionaires a lot of them had created their wealth and one of the traits i saw in almost all these people is the ability to learn a lesson and not carry the pain forward with them not be hamstrung not ruin their future by something that happened in their past so there's not a lot of self-recrimination we've all made the mistake figure out what the lesson is and move on
0: yeah, that is good advice to almost anybody. Because like you said, we do, we, we carry things around. You, you read a book, you don't have to carry that book with you for the rest of your life, right? You've read the story, you've got the story, you don't understand the gist of it, the moral.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Wow. So what are some of the big takeaways? Um, we're talking about them as we're going through them and stuff, but traveling the world, seeing all these different um, cultures and the people that you've met all over the world and stuff like that, what was one of the lessons you learned
1: from that? Well, certainly the le- one of the lessons we learned is that people are the same everywhere. I mean, all, you know, you tell a joke, I mean, people are happy, they, they smile. Singing makes everybody happy, music in every different culture. So, you know, the people that we met in poor countries, they wanted the same thing that you want. You know, they want their kids to have a little better life than, you, than the parents had, and they want them to get an education. It's all the same thing. We are so universal. And... You know, I live in a little small town in the Colorado Mountains, and we have an unbelievably strong community. I've never lived anywhere else that had the community spirit that this place does, Mm -hmm. because all the people that are here came here for a reason. It wasn't like I was born here. My family's here, so I stayed. It's all the people. And so there's a huge community, and I feel a big part of that community, but I don't have a lot of nationalism. I not a super American patriot and all those things because I kind of consider myself a citizen of the world. world, Um, You know, I've started this business recently doing motivational speaking and I've found some uh, technical help for various things on Fiverr, which is, you know, this uh, freelancers all around the world. And so I know that when I give a job to somebody in Indonesia, if I give a job to a kid in America, he gets to buy the new iphone 16 or 27 or whatever the next whatever model is. is and if i give the job to somebody in indonesia they get to feed their family yeah. so i have to say i'm not a super nationalist patriot because i really consider myself a citizen of the world because i've seen how much we're all the same
0: absolutely very cool very cool so where did you find the courage you know we talk about the different types of courage leaders have to tap into right their intellectual courage Encourage courage to set aside your long-held beliefs or your current knowledge to make room for new knowledge, empathetic courage, moral courage uh, to, uh, number one, to do, you know, be part of all the adventures you've been on already, but then to to get out on a boat, a 40-footer sounds like a big boat, but when you're out in the middle of the ocean, it's pretty tiny. It, Where did you find st- the courage?
1: It's extremely mm-hmm. tiny. Well, I... You know, courage is like a muscle. It it You build it with every single thing you do. And I guess I found out early in my life that all the magic lies outside our comfort zone. And, you know, sailing is kind of a complex sport. You know, there's a, you know, every little part of the boat has a special name. Every rope has, you don't even call them ropes, they're lines, every line has a special name. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is and you have to learn all these maneuvers, you know, tacking and jibing and all the how to anchor and all these different things. So let me ask you a question. What do you think is the most difficult maneuver in sailing? Hmm. I, for
0: me, it would be maneuvering around objects.
1: It's untying the dock lines, really untying the dock lines and leaving the dock and leaving shore. It's just what you asked about—the yeah. courage to to take the to take the first step—and yeah. so that that's one of the things I talk about is how do we do this? And I, in the in the workshops that I teach, part of it is uh, coming up with dream harvesting—I call it coming up with your dream life—but there are two things when people when I take people through this process to write down their dreams and and really develop them, there are two things that usually stand in the way. The first is what is everybody else going to think of me? So that's the first little bit of courage you need is to realize that your sense of self-worth comes from you, not from anybody else. But the second part of it is there's always some fear. Usually there's some fear between you standing between you and your goals and your dreams. And so I teach an actual process that relates to our sailing. And, uh, you know, so when we were going sailing, you could, I could figure what am I afraid of? Because when I tell people, I've told thousands and thousands of people about our sailing trip, the first question 98% of the time is, what about, what's the worst storm you ever had? What about pirates? So it's totally fear-based, the first question, most of the time. When somebody asks me, what's the prettiest country? What's the best sunset you ever have? I want to give them a hug. Because uh, the question I mostly get is, is the fear-based question. And so that's clearly how a lot of people uh, face their lives is being fearful. What, what am I afraid of? And so, you know, being in a storm at sea is a fearful experience. No matter what size boat you're on, but especially on a small 40-foot sailboat when it's just you and your wife, that is a fearful experience. There's no doubt about it. So how do you deal with fear? Well, what I do, and I teach this process, is I chunk it down. So people say to me, I would be afraid to sail across the ocean. Well, what specifically are you afraid of? Well, if you're afraid of getting lost, carry two or three extra GPSs. If you're afraid of the boat sinking, buy a really strong boat and carry extra bilge pumps. So whatever it is, I teach people to chunk it down, to break it down, so get really specific. So you say you wanna start a new business. Well, what are you really afraid of in starting a business? And so write down all the fears, and you may have 10 different fears, and you write each one of them down, and then you come up with a solution for it right there. So I'm afraid of getting lost? Okay, I can carry an extra GPS. I'm afraid I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I can start off learning small. I can sail with other people that are competent till I know what I'm doing. So write down very detailed each little fear you have, and then write down a solution for that little fear. And once you've done that, it's very manageable. And then there's just one more step. And that step is that Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and going forward anyway. So you have to be prepared, and then you take that step out into the unknown because that's where all the magic is. And certainly one of the greatest lessons we learned sailing, probably the ultimate lesson we learned, is every time we risked more, there were places that we sailed to that we didn't have good charts. Nobody had ever been there. We didn't know what we were going to find. You know, so we were risking more. We we're risking our boat, risking our lives, going into places that we didn't have good charts of. And every time we did that, the experiences that we had were better and better off the charts, wow. you know, being hosted in these... Uh, Hundred people turning out to host us at a Fijian feast, and they, you know, roasted pigs and fish and everything, and we're the guests of honor, and just lots and lots of experiences like that. Every time we risked more, the rewards were off the charts. Better, so that's kind of one of the things we learned, and it directly goes to the courage to lead.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and like you said, it's the preparation, right? You you talk about filming, you know, mountain climbers and Himalayas and everything like that. Those guys don 't just wake up one morning and decide they're going to go climb the mountain there's months and months of preparation, and they do the same thing. work through and make sure we have you know double or or triple you know safety redundancies right to make sure that that happens and that's life that's what you should do with life
1: absolutely you know there's a a lot of in the uh, self improvement space where I am. Uh, there's a lot of people with the fake it till you make it concept. And I don't have any objection to that, but that's never been my way because... The endeavors that I have done, whether it's climbing mountains or going, you know, kayaking unexplored rivers or, or going across oceans, you have to be fully prepared to do it. You can't fake it till you make it. You have to know what you're doing. So that's always been my process. I don't say there's anything wrong with the other way of doing it. But, right. you know, when we left the dock, we left the dock and we went 100 yards away and we dropped anchor and we spent the first night there. And then the first year cruising, we went from Florida to the Bahamas. It's 50 miles. And, you know, so we didn't start off leaving the shore and heading across to Australia. We took baby steps and that way you build it. So that's what when you're how did you get courage to go across the ocean? I did it one step at a time. You know, the way you eat an elephant, a bite at a time. A bite at a time. Exactly.
0: So what's next for you? I mean, you've done so much and accomplished so much. What's next on your agenda?
1: Well, I retired when I was 42, uh, and I'm 69 now, and so I didn't work from 42 until about a year ago, but the pandemic was very easy for my wife and I, we live in this beautiful place in the mountains. And so we could, the sports and things we like to do, we could still do during the pandemic. You're six feet apart from somebody, if you're skiing or mountain biking or hiking or whatever the things we do. And we didn't have children to homeschool and we were financially stable. So we weren't worried about our, you know, our finances during the pandemic. So the pandemic was very easy for us, but, I realized how difficult it was for so many other people. And, you know, I have a lot of young friends and people in their 30s. that I have one friend, you know, divorced, raising two children on her own. She was a yoga teacher, so her yoga business ceased to exist during the pandemic. Nobody could gather in a yoga studio. She's got two little kids to homeschool and no income. You know, so people like that. I was so uh, painfully aware of how easy it was for me and how difficult it was for so many other people. And I have this framework of happiness of how to live a happy life that I had developed. I've always lived with purpose. You know, I told you how I combined my filmmaking with all the things I love to do. So I realized I had answers that other people could benefit from. So during the pandemic, I started this encore career in my, it's 67, 68, I started speaking. And now I, I speak and teach on happiness. So that's m- my my uh, my why. Very cool. Any speaking engagements coming up? I have uh, seven of them in the next uh, six weeks or so. Excellent.
0: People are hungry for this. I think this is a great time for this. You know?
1: Absolutely. Like I said, the pandemic brought it
0: out of people. People started thinking, is this where I want to be? Is this what I want to be doing?
1: And I think that's the silver lining is that they will – you know maybe not today tomorrow but two or two years from now they will be happier human beings because they're now actively looking for it whereas before they were just going through life assuming it was going to happen at them
0: absolutely so uh, any more film projects
1: uh no i haven't uh haven't made any films in a while i kind of retired from that it's uh it's a very different business than it was when i did it you know, the digital and I mean, everybody makes, everybody's a filmmaker now. You you can make a movie on your iPhone as good as, what better than what I used to do with a, you know, $80,000 camera. And, you know, you can edit it in a, on your laptop. So that business has changed radically. I'm glad I'm not a part of it. It's kind of got a different business structure than what I did. I loved it when I did it and I moved on. Yeah.
0: Well, like you said, it's all about the stories, right?
1: Yeah. And that's so when I talk, as you've gathered here, I'm a storyteller. So I tell I I make all the points I make about teaching happiness with stories like the one I said about downsizing and get rid of our stuff. That's how I communicate.
0: No, that's perfect. Love that analogy. Rob, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking time out and talking to us. Um, if people want to learn more about you and find out about your program and how to get involved with that, how can they yeah. do that? What's
1: your they can website? can go to my website. It's robdubin, robdubin.com. Uh, there's uh, some uh, PDFs that people can download. We always, A couple of questions we always get is, how would you retire at 42? So I have a little thing of our fina- how we financially did it. I. Took a lot of work with, did a lot of work with Tony Robbins and the ideas I have came from Tony, but it allowed us to retire in a few years after we made a decision to be financially secure and we did it. And the other question I get all the time is how do the two of you get along so well on a 40 foot sailboat? (laughs) And we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary coming up. So I have some relationship secrets and then I have some of the things that we do on happiness. So if people go to the frequently asked questions page of my website, they can download some of those, those resources.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I will make sure they have the link in the uh, show notes so people know how to get in touch with you. And again, thanks so much for everything you've done, everything, all your videos that are out there and everything. And uh, yeah, really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me. I love your mission. Providing courage and inspiration to leaderships is so critical. We always need good leaders. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. Definitely check out the website and uh, look into the program. Because if you're if you're afraid to take a step, you can work out of that fear or or work with that fear and still accomplish things. Right. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out the website and share this episode with your family, friends and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now.